Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Watchman. We're sounding the alarm for the peril and the uncertainty that lie ahead. Our commitment is to the objective truth. The Watchman will call out whenever we see those that live in the fifth dimension attempt to put feelings and emotions in front of facts and truth. We'll call out the real motives of those living in the land of the unlimited imagination. We will expound on the underreported facts. And today we're going to be getting to those underreported facts with Rick Crump. Rick is a management consultant by trade with his own firm called Kinetic Experience, helping Fortune 500 companies solve complex business problems. We're also bringing back Annette Baker. Annette Baker is an environmental science expert, homeschool teacher. She's also a regional chairwoman of the Berks County Republican Committee. Welcome back to The Watchman, folks. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, it's great having you both back. I wanted to chat a little bit about about some of the uh, the Marxist agenda and how it's going to affect our economy and the middle class. So, first, you know, how will they categorize a wealth level? And again, talking about the wealth tax in particular. Because the wealth tax, and I was talking about this to Annette a little bit. They're going to assess the value of people. This isn't just about paychecks. They're actually going to assess the value of people. They're going to, they're going to send people or somehow figure out what your house looks like and what, what you have in your house. They want to assess your net worth, your value, and they want to tax you on that. That's scary. I mean, that is absolutely frightening. They're going to impose an additional 2% on everyone worth over $50 million and 6% on everyone worth over a billion dollars. And by the way, this is in addition to the 7% wealth tax that they already have imposed on everyone else worth over 250000 So in other words, anyone making over $250,000 a year whose worth is, I should say, whose net worth is over 250000 a year, they're going to be taxed at 7%. Okay? And then, of course, the, the millionaires will pick up another 2%, and the billionaires will pick up another... Another six. So the billionaires are going to have, oh, uh, about a 15% increase. Okay. And the millionaires will have nine on the wealth tax. That's their plan. How, I mean, how is that going to affect the economy, Rick? I mean, what will that do to the economy? How will the economy benefit from a wealth tax? How is a wealth tax going to help the middle class, Rick? Well, it's going to definitely help the Democrats. Um, I'll, I'll answer your question with more of a more of a macro strategic level um, answer. We, when you when you make an argument, one of the first things you have to do is you have to choose a, a premise very carefully. And my premise of my argument here is that the Democrats are not stupid, as we often claim they are. They are evil. And I'm just going to say that because you can't you can't be an evil genius and an idiot at the same time. So so what I think is going on here is it's. This is part of the long-term strategy. For instance, there's a four-step strategy of the left. Number one, demonize wealth. Someone has something because they took it from you. In other words, let's promote covetousness and promote people to break the Tenth Commandment. Number two, after you've demonized wealth enough, then convince the masses to give the government more power to regulate, increase minimum wage, increase taxes on those who have more. Okay? That's step two. Now, guess what happens? Like you said, what will happen? Well, the economy will slow down. But guess what? That's not bad for them, because as jobs are replaced by robots, the economy slows down, masses are put on government assistance to create dependency, and now we have to convince them that government stimulus is necessary. Notice the twist here. What they're saying is, first we destroy the economy, then we become the savior of the economy, and then the fourth step is 
as the population grows more frustrated, convince the masses that socialism is the only solution that will finally solve the problem. It's, it's part of a plan, folks. It's not don't look at them and go, you idiots don't know what you're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. How do you how, this is how you set up socialism is first you destroy the economy and destroy the healthcare system and destroy everything else. Mm. Then you come in and act like you're the savior to replace it all. Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And and again, when, when you combine what we just talked about, and this is interesting, you just said all that because it's really they, they do want to usher in socialism that's that's the whole point well a wealth tax is socialist because when you combine the the wealth tax with the higher marginal tax rates that are already going to be in place because they want to impose it the prohibitive increases in the death tax the increases in the transfer payments the free medicare for all doctors for no one plan free college and the elimination of student debt universal basic income oh let's not forget the the green new deal suffocating costs in that okay when all this is factored in we can see that we can we can see what was was done in the 30s on that. When you look back, I mean, has this ever been done in history? And we can say yes, it has been. We saw we saw what caused the Great Depression was the was the was the the smooth Wally tariff, which caused the the beginning of the economic collapse. In 1932, the highest tax rate was raised from 25 percent to 63 percent. They raised the death tax almost 90 percent throughout the Great Depression. They then raised the personal income tax rate to 79% on some. All of this led to the deepest decline in economic collapse in U.S. history. Are we? Are they wanting to relive history in it? Yeah, it, it appears that they, uh, they figure if they can just do it one more time, they'll get it right. Um, you know, it's amazing to me to think about all of the taxes that are paid. I mean, you know, so many times it's like taxation tax it's you get taxed when when you make the money you get taxed if you put it into a into a savings account and then pull it out again yeah i mean how many more taxes you know and like you said with with the increase in taxes comes all of these other programs and you know the the green new deal as you mentioned that is just much like climate change it it, it really is a bunch of taxes rolled into this idea of having environmental uh, changes, you know, to, to save the environment and, and things that they want to do that they can make it sound good and trick people into believing that this is necessary and we have to make these sacrifices to save our, our planet. And yet it's just, again, it comes back to equal misery for all. Oh, yeah. I mean, but. See, they know that the wealth tax is going to reduce the stock market, Rick. They know this. They know it, but that's oh, their yeah. plan. That's their They're plan. Wanting. Absolutely. That's their plan. You see, go ahead. To, to, to usher in socialism, you have to have two ingredients. You have to have covetousness, and you have to have despair. That's right. And, and that's what they're literally trying to create both. And the only way you can do that is to demonize wealth and to and to say that it must be distributed that, that you have because I don't. In other words, it's not possible that you've actually earned it, and and that I'm possibly could get, they they want to have a limited pie mentality that says there's only eight pieces of pie, and if somebody has six, it, it that's the reason you have two. No, it's not. <laughs> the economy is not a limited pie. We could we could all be wealthy to a certain degree if we worked our butts off, but in a free market economy, you have equal opportunity on the front end and you have different outcomes on the back end. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to reverse that. And they're trying to say, 
nobody has equal opportunity on the front end and everyone has an equal outcome on the back end. And that's, that's a collectivistic mindset that just brings everybody down and that's their goal. So you have to have covetousness and despair. So this is actually part of the plan. And I wish we'd get more proactive and aggressive on the right, calling it for what it is, because to, 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 to criticize them on a singular issue in my, in my opinion, doesn't really expose the evil of their plan because we can argue about a particular tax plan or a particular health care plan, but the macro level agenda is what needs to be exposed if we're going to win people back over to, to understanding that they need to keep more of their own money and be able to have the freedom to do what they want. Well, they, they, they know the increasing income tax is going to reduce the GDP. They know that their taxes and their, their new oppressive plan is an oppressive plan to, to reduce the stock market and to reduce the G, GDP. They know this. So this is going to cause a huge depression and result in government takeover of our lives. That's what their plan is, as Rick, as Rick very aptly put. People are going to see this as just the rich pay more. That's what they're trying to be perceived at. They're trying to say, oh, you know, the richers pay more. Well, they're not. They're lying. This is a lie, folks. Elizabeth Warren is lying to you. And, I mean, even even the fake news is calling her out for that. $52 trillion? $52 trillion for her Medicare for all doctors for none plan, Annette? I mean, we currently spend, I think our economy, I think our entire economy cost the government, I should say cost the taxpayers, $4.4 trillion a year. That's what we currently pay to, to fund the entire government, the U.S. government, not the state governments, or not the local government, just U.S. government. The 2.2, 2.1, 2.2 million employees that the U.S. government employs. And all those agencies, all that overhead, cost about $4.4 trillion a year. Now, Elizabeth Warren wants to charge another $5.2 trillion a year. <laughs> so now we've just gone to almost $10 trillion a year, a year in net in cost of government. I mean, will we be able to pay that? I mean, we currently pay about 3.67, maybe 3.8 trillion. Say 3.8 trillion in total taxes. So she's going to have to triple that to continue to sustain this government. And as we're going to get to in a little bit, some of her other wacky plans that she wants to fund. But she, just to do Medicare for all doctors for no one in that, and along with sustaining <laughs> the actual government we have, she's going to nearly triple the taxes of everybody. Annette, I mean... She's lying to the public, and everyone's going to drop into utter despair. What is, I mean, she knows this, Annette. Would you agree, or do you think she she doesn't see this? Oh, yeah. I'm sure she has to know what the real numbers are. And, you know, if she's honest about this, which she can't be, because there's no way that we can afford to do this. Um, I, was, I was actually just talking to someone today about the medical care system in England, um, and their their system is collapsing from within. In fact, she said that her sister, who lives in England, um, actually comes back here to the United States for medical procedures because she doesn't she can't get them done in England, um, or the procedure is a much better procedure that has been developed here. Let's talk about research and development and and training of of physicians. When you don't have an economic driver to push companies to invest in research and development, they're not going to. When you have a doctor 
who can become a general practitioner or a specialist, and they have to go an extra 10 years. Do you want a brain surgeon who has studied an extra 10 years and knows neurology backwards and forwards, has done numerous procedures, knows what to do to operate on you? Um, or do you want someone who has maybe done a little bit of training, but, you know, they don't really have the incentive to become a specialist? Specialists get paid a lot more money in the United States than, than a general practitioner. And people have said, you know, well, that's why we need to stop with that. But when you have to go an extra 12 years to become certified to be that neurologist, I'd rather have somebody who has spent the extra 12 years in training poking around inside my brain uh, than somebody who has not had that kind of training. Um, and that's where, you know, taking away those economic incentives and people say, well, you know, they should do it for the money and not for the money, but because, you know, it's for the greater good. Well, yeah, that is a strong motivation, but there is also the economic motivation because, you know, you're talking about people paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to become doctors and they are, they have to pay that money back. That's right. Um, and that's where a specialist comes in. They have to have specialized training. And, you know, when you start removing those kinds of incentives and penalizing people who are, who are uh, excelling in their field, and it can, it's not just in medicine, it's in any field. It doesn't matter, engineering or science or you, know, you pick any, anything. We're, we're lagging behind other modernized nations in uh, the STEM uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, we're lagging. And you want to really put a death knell into you know, another nail in the coffin, go ahead and start penalizing people who work hard, study hard, come up with new inventions, and then penalize them for being successful. That is not the American model. No. Um, you know, the modern mm. monetary theory that you can just make money up and make up how much you, you can spend um, because it really doesn't matter. We can just make that up and pretend we have all the money we need. That's what's being pushed. And I think Elizabeth Warren has bought into that modern monetary theory that we can, as a nation, can just say, well, we have $10 tr trillion a month coming in because we have wealth and resources and people, and that's what we can, we can say we have that as a resource. So don't worry about it if we really do have it or not. Well, because it gets away from, you know, having a standard that we can measure. You know, Annette, you, you so correctly and so aptly put, we need to encourage a system where rich people want to invest and create more jobs. We need to reward success. That's what we need to be doing. You know, the Democrat message of doom and gloom isn't resonating with middle class America. They're making this, this one group against another group. That's what this is. That's their message. And they're panicking nationally. I think what's really interesting on this, Rick, in some recent polls I just saw, they're panicking. Nearly 80% of Democrats are terrified and anxious of this upcoming election. 80%. Why don't we just say all of them? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's amazing. And the Republicans, about 40%. Now, yeah, there was a, there's, there's a, a reason for that, Rick. What do you think yeah, the reason is? <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that there's a misnomer that, that somehow... Democrats just keep adding to their ranks. You hear about, oh, intersectionality, oh, they're going to they're gonna get us with that, and they're going to, uh, oh, now Democrats are going to go do this, and they're going to add this group to their ranks. And <laughs> folks, they're alienating people within their own ranks. 
a big part of this isn't it, they are literally reaching a, a point of critical mass where they're going to implode on themselves. And I'm not taking anything away from Trump and, and the right, because that's what started it. That's what's that's what's putting the pressure on them. But as they are, they're flailing about now trying to come up with alternatives, because remember back a couple of years ago when all when all they could come up with was you're a racist if you disagreed with them. <laughs> that's right. Right. And they still, by the way, that's still all they can come up with. But but they started to see these things starting to backfire on themselves. That's right. And and nothing's working. And so they're panicking. And now they're starting to turn on each other. And And by the way, not for nothing, but watch for this, folks. This is one of the big tells. And whether it's the impeachment investigation, whether it's something of, of a corruption probe that some Dems going to get caught in, whether it's Barr's investigations, which ironically we haven't been hearing a lot about, whatever it is, this is going to be your tell where the cracks in the cement, when they start um, distancing themselves from one another. Well, I really wasn't the one who said that. <laughs> well, I believe my colleague was the one that did that. So we, are, you saying, are, we, are you saying we're going to get them fighting amongst each other? Is that what you're doing? Oh, it's Our coming, success? It's coming very quickly. <laughs> Once you start to see the subtle uh-huh, hints uh-huh. of, well, it wasn't me, you know the cracks in the cement are going to go deep. Now, just so we know, folks, I want our listeners to know because we do knock polling. We, we knock it all the time here on The Watchman and our other show, The Point. I mean, Annette and Rick, I mean, we're all on the same page. We believe a lot of these <laughs> polls are phony. But the problem is now, the problem the Democrats are up against, is there are actual outfits out there that do actual polling correctly based upon, you know, voter turnout models. And I am telling you, when you see 80% of Democrats that are truly anxious about the upcoming election, folks, that poll isn't going to be good in any poll, okay? <laughs> Unless they poll sure. 80% Republicans, okay? So, I mean, it's just not... 80% of Democrats, they're, they're interviewing Democrats. And, I mean, that's a very concerning point for them. And the reason, that, let's talk about why, and we'll unpack again, why are they nervous about the upcoming election? Well, let's look at, let's look at one of their candidates at their, 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 their <laughs> great, their great slight. Why, why the, aren't they nervous? <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to count those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, let's look at one of their candidates, the great slight hope, Mr. Joe Biden. Okay, he's your he's your last great slight hope, uh, because now because of Biden slipping in the polls everywhere and going kaplawi in the polls, they've got we, we now have uh, Bloomberg gotten in the race. And again, he, there's nobody looking at him for for solutions. Okay, but look, Biden has the best chance against Trump according to some of these people. And look, Biden is a walking talking example of a sleepwalker talking talk. He's talking public policy. I mean, that's what he is. I mean, this guy is—he forgets he's in—he forgets he's in Iowa when he says, "I'm happy to be here in Ohio," or when he was over in New Hampshire, "I'm happy to be here in Vermont." I mean, I, the, the guy doesn't even know where he is for crying out loud. Okay, and and again, this is this is true, folks. This really happened. I mean, during his his interviews with with media, I mean, you can go through that. I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing. Okay, but no matter how much the media scream hoax on his behalf, you know this. Ukraine, China, hundred hundred thing is it's a real problem for Biden, and Biden again he's a terrible candidate. He was terrible before he started operating just a notch. Before he was terrible already before he stopped operating just a notch faster than like a parked car. Look today he's not just a mess. I mean he 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 he's just his son Hunter's greedy and unethical business practices are being put on full display and the shameless looting of Ukraine while his dad was a sitting vice president and led American policy there. Look, this is what America is going to see. I mean, Annette, I mean, he's one of their last bastions for hope here. 
And, and this is something Trump and his campaign are already exploiting, Annette. I mean, Biden is already getting roughed up and defined by Trump. His numbers in Iowa and New Hampshire are, are cratering, or as he would say, Iowa and Vermont. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, you're New Hampshire and Vermont. Look, Iowa and New Hampshire matter. If you lose there, your national lead evaporates mighty quick, Annette. What are your thoughts? Oh, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, the, the problems for the former vice president are, seem like they just keep coming. I mean, it's wave after wave after wave. And, you know, as much as he would like to shift the focus away from himself and his son and, and what happened, um, you know, the president just continues to hammer away at the fact that, you know, here's all of this stuff that happened with Ukraine and, you know, it's the sleight of hand. Hey, look over here, you know, that the Democrats are trying to do. It just opens up the field, you know, particularly with with Biden versus Trump. Uh, I would love to see the debates. I think it's going to be if he, if he survives, which I highly doubt, I'm, I'm beginning think, yeah, to think he's that not, he's, he's not, not going to make it through. He's not going to get it. He won't um, get the nomination. No, no. I think I think we're looking at possibly a Warren um, Buttigieg ticket maybe uh as a possibility kamala harris is fading quick um sanders is you know kind of one of those guys that just keeps hanging around and but i don't think he's i don't think he is going to be able to pull enough um he's gonna he's not gonna be able to pull ahead enough and i think there's there's too much momentum right now so i think you know I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, the former vice president's having a lot of issues just keeping track of what state he's in, right. um, let alone trying to figure out how to debate. Um, you know, and, and sadly, he his track record on foreign policy is, is horrendous. He is oh, he's practically, horrible. I think, every single time he's been on the wrong side of history. He's been on the wrong side. Um, of, he's on the wrong side of every issue. <laughs> he raised his hand. Yep. He raised his hand in the first debate when he talked about giving illegal immigrants health care look and now he's backed up on that but let, let me just say this and the reason he raised his hand folks is because he's not a leader okay he's not a leader but let, let me just say this what's interesting in all of this is i was uh we you know i was recently uh debating debating our uh the berks county democrat committee chairman and uh i think what's interesting on that is i i we were being asked a question you know well they were asking me how can i be so confident that the republicans are so strong and i said because the real the real measure here is the fundraising Okay, not just that Trump's getting a lot of money. He has zillions of donors, and the, the Democrats don't. And somebody made a comment, well, it's always that way until they get their, until they get their candidate out front. Let me, let me help you folks. When Hillary Clinton is out front now saying that she's concerned because they don't have a, they don't have a good front runner, no, let me tell you something. No one's raising money right now. I mean, nobody's really raising a whole lot of money. I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you right now, Chrissy Hooligan over there in, in, in the Pennsylvania 6th District, and that, that's your district, and I believe that's your district yep. as well, Rick. Yep. We both have Chrissy Hooligan. So, I mean, yep. but the bottom line is uh, she's not raising money because I think people are seeing her jump on this, uh, this impeachment train and that they all thought she was a moderate. Now they're seeing, they're getting an eyeful that she's not. Mm-hmm. So this is what's happening. So if Biden doesn't get the nomination, it leaves Socialist Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or like I said earlier, it leaves the uh, the high school, the the you know the, the the South Bend High School class president, 17-year-old Pete Buttigieg. Okay, 
I mean, that, that's what it leaves. I mean, I, the guy the guy is so totally shallow in debate stature. I mean, he has no ability to debate issues. None. Zero. And that you got all these people saying, I'm not giving money to that. These people are going to get clobbered. I mean, Rick, I mean, do you think that they see this, Rick, and that's why they're not donating? Yeah, I mean, when we work with clients and we're trying to do what we call change management, uh, in other words, helping people go through change, it's important to understand who's who's on board with it, who's not. And we do different types of assessments and analyses. And one of the things we look for is the difference between active support and passive support. Are people going along and is that all you need them to do? Or do you need people out there actually championing it? And when I think about that, I think about the bell curve. Put a bell curve in your in your mind's yeah, eye yeah, for a moment. Yeah. The, the two ends of the bell curve that are typically the ones that are the proponents that are out there actively fundraising and marching for the candidates, right? right? Well, when you start to get towards the middle of the bell curve, that's where you start to see more of the passive support, except for except in Trump's case. His, his, his active support is eating more into the middle of the bell curve. He's mobilizing the middle of the bell curve, that right side of the bell curve that's traditionally more passive. And the, and the Democrats are having a hard time even with the end of their bell curve. So, <laughs> yes, they see it. They know. They know. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I want to I want to wrap the show up on what's going on in Wisconsin. Uh, the Democrat governor uh, put a holiday. He, he basically he put up a holiday tree, not a Christmas tree. The Democrat governor wants to be sure that the safe zones are not necessary for this holiday season. Annette. OK, he wants to make sure there's no safe zone needed. We won't call it a Christmas tree. There'll be no need to use a therapy animal, Annette. OK, because we're going to call it. A, we're not going to call it a Christmas tree. We're going to call wait, it a holiday wait. tree. OK. You mean no no crayons, coloring books, and Play-Doh this yeah, time? Nothing. Oh, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Well, we, we won't we won't call this Christmas tree Christmas tree. Instead, we're going to call them holiday trees <laughs> because no one needs to get now. Now I'm really happy because no one's going to have to get psychiatric treatment or anything. Or, you know, we, we, you know, we we'll need to to count to ten. You know, take a pause, count to ten. You know, we'll also avoid potential lawsuits and avoid hurting the feelings of those gone, those prone to terrorism. Okay, Annette, uh, now we won't have to worry about promoting terrorism, okay? Not pushing them over the edge with, you know, people that are prone to terrorism, into terrorism by, by calling Christmas trees Christmas trees. You know, uh, the governor of Wisconsin does not, he doesn't want to contribute to the global warming by, by all those, Rick, by, by people cutting down trees, Rick. All right, so, so this is, you know, this, I mean, this is, that this liberal socialist make China great again Democrat is well on his way to getting rid of the American, the American tradition and calling out those that celebrate Christmas as trying to exercise their white privilege over people with a different tradition from a different country. Uh, Annette, uh, why don't you give me a, a, a minute on that, and then I'll go to you, Rick, for a minute because i got to close the show. Oh, man, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's astounding to me that we're we're in this position here in this country. It just, I don't, I, I don't even, yeah. What, what do I even say? Rick, I'm going to punt to you on this one. <laughs> well, let me start by saying with the, uh, the Christmas analogy, oh. we do have white privilege up here in the north, and it's called snow. That's why it's white privilege. <laughs> the South doesn't know how to celebrate Christmas. That was good, but Rick. No, that was good. good. Hey, listen, we're out of time, folks. Thank you, Rick and Annette, for being with us today. Thanks to all of our listeners for being with us today. Thank you for being with us on The Watchman this afternoon. Be with us every Saturday afternoon at 4.30 right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL for this compelling discussion on The Watchmen. Uh, a lot of our audience listens to The Watchmen during normal airtime by clicking on the Listen Live button. Some listen to us as they drive through the listening area 
or some that live in the listening area. Either way, we appreciate you listening. We truly do. That's why we're here. See you next Saturday on The Watchmen. For Annette and for Rick, I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.